0: there is a a library that exists exists at the nexus where all all other other universes collide. collide. Inevitably, things wind up there by by mistake. Books, books, artifacts, people. This is the place where things from all universes universes end up when they get lost. This is is the the Eternity eternity archives. Archives.
1: Previously on the Eternity Archives. It's been moved. He taps on the map. He says, it's there now. I mean, I'm more worried about the monsters, but yes, now that you mentioned it, I forgot that I do have to... hike. I sort of think we should get off the main path, and
2: I'm guessing the terrain doesn't get easier.
0: Real is looking for cougars and has forgotten about the danger from the rock slides.
1: Real doesn't fucking know how to camp, Rill <laughs> can't help with any of this.
0: Emerging from the trees is the group from earlier, the tiefling and her friends. No! She kind of throws up her hands and is like, I tried to be civil. Uh, no, you didn't. You literally ambushed us.
2: So I'm going to throw the dagger at the T-flank. That
0: hits her right in the back, right between the shoulder blades. Oh. And she is down.
2: Oh no.
1: 19 damage to the chainmail guy. Oh my god. He
0: hits the ground and he's not getting back up. And you can deal with the uh, the moral implications of
1: that later. All the deaths here were accidental. I told you guys not to swing at my girl, Linda. Thank mm-hmm. you.
0: Welcome back to the Eternity Archives, an actual play podcast. In this episode, we're wrapping up 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. We've got a little bit of campaign left to get through, and then we're going to unwind with some post-game discussion. But first, let's reintroduce you to your hosts and the characters we're playing. I'm Dorka, my pronouns are she, her. My character is Zen, the barbarian lizard princess, who is sitting on the sidelines for this mission. Instead, I'm taking on the role of anchor in this game, which is a fancy
2: way of saying I planned the fights. I'm Ziva, my pronouns are she, her, and I play Linda, the normal human earth office lady, who uh, in this universe is a halfling bard. Fun fact about Linda, she keeps finding Harlequin novels when she explores the library, even though she's, quote, not looking for them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but does she read them?
2: Uh, I think, I think, uh, Linda... Footage not found. (laughs) yeah footage not found yeah
1: someone's cut out footage from the security cameras it's just a (laughs) loop what (laughs) uh hi i'm kite my pronouns are they them i play real day drakel who is a feral teethling and in this Dungeons and dragons universe uh very sad and filled with a guilty conscience uh they are going to put themselves in jail That's it. That's the, you know, you're never gonna hear from them again. They got (laughs) life in prison. Bye, everyone. It was a good run.
0: In our last episode, we forced Rill to play out their worst nightmare being outside. It was a long day of hiking, climbing, and throwing cookies at cougars in the Stormhorn Mountains. They made some serious progress towards finding the anomaly, but if everything were always that simple, the game wouldn't be worth playing or listening to. The shady adventurers they met back in town turned out to be just as shady as expected, ambushing them when they made camp. It didn't go the way they planned, but uh, they're insisting that the slaughter was mostly accidental. Anyway, now that our players have driven them off, it should be a straight shot to the top of the mountain and your goal. Th-
1: that's the plus side, right? Like, jail is inside, so, uh, <laughs> you know, it's better than what I've been through this past past couple episodes.
2: <laughs> For the record, if Rill was in jail, Linda would totally bring, like, a big, beautiful cake that would probably have a nail file hidden inside oh no Nail file
1: regular file real's just like i don't know what to do with this and they would just file their horns i guess (laughs) that's valid
2: that's valid you gotta you gotta look sharp in prison so everyone else leaves you alone i'm pretty sure that's how it works there's so much crime in this podcast there's a lot of crime in this podcast be
1: gay do crimes
0: anyway let's go ahead and pick up where we left off you ready
1: let's do it man ready for jail alright
0: the two of you are alone again and everything is quiet for a few seconds and then you just hear Zen like laughing in your ears like (laughs) that was incredible you guys are the coolest
1: Uh, thank you Zen we just committed murder I don't know how cool that is
0: it's only murder if you're within
1: city limits Oh. Hmm. Mm, I guess. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I feel like we should. You know, they weren't particularly nice people, but I feel like we should pay our respects and, like, bury them. But I don't have a shovel. So can we just move, move them uh, and then, like, throw them in the river or something? I have a shovel. Oh. You have a shovel? I have a shovel. Okay. To bury them
2: we'll dig them at least like slightly adequate graves if nothing else so the cougars don't come in that night <laughs> yes.
1: i just imagine rill is just like so set up burying them and paying their respects and then they just get so tired after like two shovelfuls <laughs> of dirt, and they're like the most shallow graves and then said what they do is they just get like a bunch of leaves and put them on top
2: i think that's about right like we dig as far as we can before we get exhausted and then we're just like whoops and just put some extra dirt and some leaves on top and it's far away enough from the campsite that we can sleep without being worried about i don't know whites or whatever
1: yeah i guess maybe real would also find a stick and then like stick like impale the body to the floor and then they would look at linda and be like uh in case in case they become zombies
2: and that sounds about right, Delinda. She, like, absolutely saw some terrifying original Romeros in movie theaters when she was a teenager, and she's like, mm mm-hmm, mm mm that, that, yes. Zen is silently
0: nodding to herself, but me, Dorga, is like, what the fuck is that supposed
1: to do? <laughs> it's to pin the zombies to the floor so they can't move.
2: Linda doesn't have strong feelings, she's just terrified of zombies, so anything that's supposed to control zombies, she's like, yep, that sounds good.
0: Alright, so what are you going to do now? It is definitely night now, it's dark.
1: Okay, well, I want to take a long rest, because I'm hurt. (laughs) Yeah, we should definitely take a long rest, I'm also hurt. Okay. And I'll eat some, Was it, uh, like, messed up (laughs) Pop-Tarts? Yes. (laughs) Disassembled (laughs) Pop-Tarts?
0: Yes. So let's talk about what exactly happens on a long rest.
1: So on
2: a long rest, you get to recover your special abilities um, and your spell slots as well, right? Yes.
1: And all your HP.
2: Basically, you get everything back and you're
0: totally fresh again. And a long rest, it has to be eight hours. Is that correct? Or is
2: it six? Eight. Okay.
1: Uh, But different races will have different things. Like elves don't take long rests. They take trances, which are four hours.
2: The other thing is that you can stand watch during a a long rest, as long as it's no more than two
1: hours. Okay. Yeah. So we probably just do shifts or something like that.
2: Yep.
0: So there are only two of you. So if you're doing two hour shifts, then that's only four hours of rest.
2: I feel like probably we start the night and like you do, like Rill does a two hour shift and Linda does a two hour shift but linda doesn't want to wake rill up again and everything seems fine so i think she probably just makes the executive decision that like the fire's out nothing's attacked us so let's just call it a night and we'll both get some real sleep okay
1: and then dork is like "Ha ha, dummies
0: <laughs> no it is an uneventful night and you wake up in the morning feeling refreshed and healthy
1: yeah i don't know about that there's definitely guilt on my conscience <laughs> <laughs> you are physically refreshed and healthy I just very sadly eat this uh, disassembled (laughs) Pop-Tart.
0: So when the sun comes up, you see that you're pretty close to the peak of the mountain. Like, it's all uphill from here, but it's not too far. If you start now, you'll probably be there before
1: noon, before it gets too hot. Let's let's go for it. Yeah, I think we would just eat breakfast and whatever, and then... I doubt anyone else is following us, but, you know, we I imagine we'd do our best to just, like, clean up our camp, campsite, and then just start going.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. So, you make your way up, and soon you find yourself reaching the peak of the mountain, and now there is a bit of a climb. It's not as steep as the climb you had to do yesterday, It's pretty rocky, but if you, like, get down on hands and knees and just use that to kind of crawl your way up the mountain, it should be manageable.
1: Rill sees that there's another climb in front of them, and then they just uh, very dramatically just, like, fall over and plank on the dirt. And they're just like, uh, just go without me. I I I can't make it. (laughs) It's real a little sore. Rill is just a huge baby and doesn't feel like exerting more effort. And also, yes, <laughs> they are probably sore.
2: I think Linda would go for another Girl Scout song. This one's not Bardic Inspiration. She just she just wants to help.
1: <laughs> okay, what song? You gotta sing it now.
2: <laughs> she probably does Miley Cyrus' The Climb. Oh my god. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is not a Girl Scout song. <laughs>
2: it's not a Girl Scout song, but you could make it one. A Girl Scout song is basically any song you sing while you're outdoors. So...
1: Rill would less want to climb because of the Girl Scout song and more just because they don't want to disappoint Linda. And I imagine Zen is also probably like...
0: Zen is is cheering them on.
1: Yeah, and it's just like, okay, fine, I'll I'll, I'll go, I'm climbing. So what I would like to do is, could I like tie ropes around our waists and then like shoot the arrows up so that we kind of are like in place? you know, to save us from falling or whatever. Or how, how high even is the climb? It's,
0: like, a good 80 feet, but it, it's a much more gentle slope. Like, you can't really fall. Okay. You'll just, like, slide a little bit back down.
1: Okay. Well, I think I'll still do that just... I don't know, for safety precautions. Is that a thing you can do in rock climbing? You know more than I do. I don't go outside. You don't
0: usually use a bow and arrow in rock climbing. <laughs> well yeah, but how do you nail the rope up at the top? You actually like have all these little spikes and like every ten feet you, the lead climber hammers one in.
1: Oh well that's So the
0: first person <laughs> is climbing like without anything above them.
1: Okay. Yeah, I guess Rill would just Follow Linda's lead and go for it. I don't know if Linda would be leading, or if, you know, if Linda falls, then they, uh, she can land on rail. So, <laughs> and
0: again, like if you fall, it's not going to be downwards; it's just going to be backwards.
1: Look, these are contingency plans I have. All right.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so I guess did you say acrobatics? Yeah, acrobatics or athletic. All right, I'm gonna do acrobatics again. So I rolled an eleven plus four, so fifteen.
1: I got an eight. <laughs>
2: Okay, so Linda is a champion
0: climber and she just like scrambles up this rocky slope. Rail is tired and not enthusiastic about this, and there are a few times where Rail is like halfway there and then steps on a rock wrong and just slides back down to the bottom. <laughs> no, and they don't try
1: very slowly. Yeah, they don't they don't try to climb back up. They just let it happen. They're just like goodbye, cruel world. <laughs>
0: they just slide all the way back to the bottom and then keep going. And then slide back to the bottom and then <laughs> keep going. But eventually you'll both make it to the top of the peak. And so the the peak of the mountain is leveled off, and when you look around, you can see it. You can feel it, really, just like Zephyrin said he could. Maybe it's a side effect of library work, you don't know. But you can feel something off, you can feel something abnormal. And when you look in that direction, you see that nestled into the rocks is a huge nest, and in that nest there are four eggs. One of the eggs is wrong. It is larger than the others, inky black like the void that brought you here, and it seems to pulse with a threatening energy. It does not belong here and is unmistakably
1: the anomaly. Uh, I guess that's kind of the weird- do you feel that weird feeling? Absolutely, I- I don't like it. I guess it's just that egg, I, I thought it was the Pop-Tart I ate this morning. I think it might have been raw, so I was a little bit afraid of that. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I'm glad it's it's this egg. Hey, Zen, are we just supposed to, like, pick it up and bring it back home?
0: Uh, yeah. It looks like once you have it in your hands, I can pull you back.
2: Uh, well, okay. I guess we should go touch it? Uh, I gu- Hey, do you know what kind of eggs these are? Yeah, is it giant spiders or something?
0: So she pauses for a moment and thinks about it, takes note of the size and shape, and she says, "Yeah, I'm gonna say either griffin or hippogriff or something along those lines. Maybe a maybe a rock, a rock egg. Do rocks lay eggs? Rock like a like R O C.
1: Oh, the oh. big ones. Oh, like a cliff chicken, or a giant fucking eagle. Oh yeah, big eagles." Uh, you know what, Linda, let me, I, um, yeah, let me do this. Let me, let me, I'll, I'll go in. I'll, now I'll touch, I'll touch the egg.
2: Okay, I, I'll, I'll stand, I'll stand readied. Uh, can I do a stealth check to, like, sneak up? There is no cover on this mountaintop. Oh,
1: really? Okay. Hmm. All right, then.
0: I'll just go for it. As you approach the anomaly, you hear a shrieking cry and the dust is kicked up all around you. A large feathered creature lands before you. It has the body of a lion with the wings, head, and talons of a majestic eagle. As Zen predicted, it is a griffin, and clearly the protector of
1: this nest. Oh my god, this was- this had all the boss battle flags, and I just fucking missed it. Ugh, amateur. Amateur mistake.
0: The griffin flares its wings at you, hissing through its
1: beak. It clearly has no intention of
0: letting you anywhere near that nest.
1: Uh, can we just have the the messed up egg? I mean that's obviously not your egg like come on it, it you know and real just kind of gestures at the egg it is a griffin its
0: intelligence is too it does not speak any human language or understand it
2: can i do an animal handling check to see if i could like shh good girl it into letting us close like you like they do with horses in girl movies <laughs>
0: Yeah, you can you can try. Okay. You can try and horse girl this griffin. Yes.
2: It always works in movies, so I feel like this should work. I've seen a lot of those movies. <laughs> Me, Ziva, and probably also Linda. She probably watched National Velvet like a hundred times. I'm stalling for luck. Thirteen plus one is a fourteen. All right, so what are you doing? I am animal handling. And I am walking to it really closely with my hand out, doing that shh. Sh- horse girl voice trying to get as close as i can saying it's okay it's all right
0: so it rears back and swipes out at you with its claws and just like screeches at
1: you okay so that doesn't work yeah uh i think linda we are going to have to make some chicken fried steak for breakfast oh
2: is there is there anything else we can do we can't lie to it <laughs> It's too dumb to be fooled by your logic. We can't talk to it politely. We can't we can't national velvet
1: it. You can try to maybe play it a song and try to like calm it down with like a calming calming oh, song. I might have something like that. I can do like a percussion with like a rock, you know, hit two rocks together. <laughs> I can just like a very
2: I can no. charm person. Uh, Griffin's not a person. Yeah, all I can do is not anything useful, but I can sing it a nice song and hope it goes to sleep like Fluffy from Harry Potter. (laughs) I mean, I think that would just be animal handling again. Oh, I already did that. Yeah, you can't really do deception or
1: medicine. Okay, so we have rope, right? Oh, no, you lost your rope. Oh, we have more rope. How much rope do we have? You had a rope. Okay, what I want to do, can I try to jump on the hippogriff? No, griffin. Sorry, the griffin's back. And then like ride it like a mount.
0: You can absolutely try that.
1: Okay. Good luck. Linda, I need you to play me some bomb ass background music. Okay. Is this a bardic inspiration? Yes,
2: please. (laughs) Okay. I am doing bardic inspiration. You get that 1d6 and I play what uh, is, but I don't know is, the Final Fantasy of your choice battle music. I'm just like <laughs> strumming out on my dulcimer. I've never played a Final Fantasy. I have no idea what it is, but it sounds fucking
1: cool. Oh God. This is not- <laughs> I got a four plus two uh, <laughs> plus three. So I got a nine.
0: All right. So you try and mount a wild magical creature. <laughs> <laughs> and it does not like that. It spins around and it throws you on the ground. It rears back and you hit the ground hard. And then it charges at you. So we're going to be rolling initiative now again.
2: Okay.
1: Oh god, I got a one plus four.
2: I got a 16 plus four. Okay, well... um, Ziva, you get to go
0: first. The griffin is charging Rail.
2: Okay. So then I am going to want to just attack the griffin. Um, I'm gonna want to move towards it, kind of like between it and Rail, and use my rapier. Okay. So then that is a 11 plus 5. That's a 16. And you hit. It's a pretty big target. Okay. So then I do 1d8 plus 3. That's six damage. Okay. So I guess I'll go ahead and do my dagger hit as well. Do my dagger hit, which is uh, 18 plus five is 23. And that's another hit. (laughs) And I do three damage. Okay. And now it is the
0: Griffin's turn and you are in its way. And it rears forward with its beak and attempts to bite you. Can't blame him. It got a 15, and that does hit you, I believe? That hits, yes. Okay. Now, it does uh, 8 damage. Okay, that's... yikes. And then it swipes at you with its claws. Oh, boy. And it definitely hits you, and that is another 8 damage.
2: Oh, my God. Linda's hurting. How much HP do you have?
1: 21. Okay. I got 5 left. Oh, no. Okay.
0: Well, now it is Rail's turn.
1: Okay, I am going to use bonus action Zephyr Strike. So I'm gonna, uh, I don't enact opportunity attacks with my movement as long as this spell is up and it's a concentration spell. And then I will use Cure Wounds on Linda, which is a 1d8 plus 2. Hope I roll well. 1d—it's It's I- 5 HP. <laughs> hey,
0: I'll take that. Alright, so you, like, reach forward and give Linda a little
1: boost. Yes. Thank you. And, um, I'll move up to, like, stand beside Linda, I guess. Hopefully I can maybe bait some of its attacks.
0: Alright, and now it is Linda's turn again.
2: What do I do? Um, I guess I'm gonna- Actually, I am going to do Healing Word, which can include myself, because that's a bonus action for me. So healing word is a level one spell. Then I get 1d4 plus my spellcasting ability modifier, which uh, for me is charisma. So that's 1d4 plus two. And so that is three. That's not a lot, but I'll take it. Yeah, every little bit counts at this level. Yes, sure does. Okay, so that was my bonus action. But then my standard action, I'm going to attack again with my rapier because I had good luck with that last time. Oh, I rolled a 20 yay yeah so that is a critical hit okay so then i do two d8 and then i add three to that you roll the one d8 and you double it okay so uh let's say seven 14 plus three is 20 okay wow that is a lot of damage non-lethal
0: okay well it's still it's still up
2: okay wow that's a tough griffin yeah you didn't kill it man alright so is that the end of your turn? that's
0: the end of my turn alright so now it is the griffin's turn and it rears back on its hind legs and flaps its wings really hard and it pushes both of you back ten feet and then the griffin takes off into the sky it doesn't fly away it's like circling oh and now
2: it is Rill's turn
1: I'm ready for chicken fried steak, or we can just try to get the
2: egg. So do you think we can go fast enough to get the egg? How far are we away from the egg? About,
1: uh, 60 feet. Oh. That's like two turns for me. Okay, I'm gonna try to attack the griffin, because I use my advantage for my sever strike. Whether I hit or miss, I get an additional 30 feet of movement, and altogether that's 60 feet. So I will try to attack the griffin. Do I get any disadvantage because it's, like, circling around, or... Yes, you do. Okay, so because of my Zephyr Strike, that would just cancel out to be just right. regular attack. Okay. Yep. Uh, I got a 6 plus 8, 14. Yeah, that hits. Okay, so I do 1d8 plus 4 because of my uh, Longbow, and then another 1d8 because of my Zephyr Strike. Oh god, 20... Is that right? What's eight plus eight is sixteen, right? Yes. yes. Plus four. Yes, I do twenty damage. Oh my god! All right. Holy cow! <sighs> did I kill it? I didn't kill it, did I? No, you didn't
0: kill it. It's still flying. It damn shrieks real loud, though. Okay.
1: And then I just start running towards the eggs, and I have sixty feet of movement.
0: So as you get closer to the nest, a second griffin climbs out of the nest, and what, is excuse me, between <laughs> you and it. It is smaller, not like a baby, but probably like a juvenile, but it is also planning to protect the eggs.
1: I just want the one egg. Just the one that egg. (laughs) And I point at the the messed up looking egg.
0: (laughs) It it doesn't have any reasoning power.
1: (laughs) Rill is going to try anyway, because Rill has one brain cell.
0: (laughs) Wow, imagine if you'd done this with like the actual thinking people. (laughs)
1: we tried we tried dorka oh was it the fucking idiots who snuck up on us and tried to ambush us in the middle of the night and then they were like you killed us (laughs) That's the middle of the night it was like it was like 8 p.m
0: that's the middle of the night you guys were both awake
2: all right but (laughs) anyway it is (laughs) it is ziva's turn okay Jeez louise i can't really hit the flying one
1: Oh, you can take a dash action.
2: What- how far does dash let me go? I can't remember.
1: It's double your walking speed. And I believe since you're a halfling, is it 25 or is it 30?
2: It's 25. Yeah, because a dash is
0: just twice your your movement, but that counts as your action. You then cannot attack.
2: Got it. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and dash 25 feet forward so I'm within roughly 10 feet of you and also the eggs and the griffin, the little griffin.
1: You also still have a bonus action.
2: Oh, I do still have a bonus action. Then for my bonus action, I am going to use my rapier. I don't have to use my dagger second. So I rolled 15, plus 5 is 20. You're attacking the smaller one? The smaller one. Yep, that hits. Alright, and then I do 1d8 plus 3. So that's 4, plus 3 is 7. Okay. And now it is the larger griffin's
0: turn, and when it sees the two of you brushing its eggs and its companion or offspring, there's really no way to know for sure, it lands again. It lands right in front of Rail, and it attacks with its beak.
1: Come at me, bruh. Uh, 18. Uh, yeah, I guess.
0: <laughs> and it does 10 damage.
1: Okay, I will Hellish Rebuke. Oh boy. Uh, so, needs to make a dex saving throw?
0: Yes. Uh, it rolls 19.
1: Fuck! Alright, well, it still takes half. <laughs> okay. 16. So eight damage.
0: Okay. It is staggering. It is looking very unhappy. And now it is the smaller Griffin's turn. And that one is engaged with Linda. And that one does an eleven. So that's probably a miss. That's a miss. Okay. And now it is Linda's turn. No, it's Rail's turn, because Rail's last thing was a reaction. So it's R- it's actually Rail's turn.
1: Okay. Oh, I took damage, right? So I have to do my concentration spell. Yeah. And I took 10 damage, right? Yeah. Fuck! My concentration breaks. Goddammit! How far away am I from the eggs right now?
0: You're about 15 feet. Okay. But there are two griffins between you and them. And the nest is big enough that you would have to, like, climb into
1: it. So I'm not in the nest yet? No. Okay, so for my bonus action, I'm gonna use my last spell slot. I'm going to use Zephyr Strike. And that makes it so my movement doesn't provoke opportunity attacks okay so then i'm just gonna run past them with my 30 feet of movement
0: so let's talk about opportunity attacks because i don't think we've brought that up at all we've, we've said it a few times but we haven't explained it so an attack of opportunity is basically when you are entering or leaving someone's attack range they get to make an attack on you for free even if it's not their turn yes Yes. they have an opportunity to make a free attack and that is an attack of opportunity yes not everyone uses that I've definitely played in some games where that's not a rule but it does come into play fairly often like here yeah where like real can't just run past two griffins normally without them getting an opportunity to retaliate basically and that's what this spell is giving them the ability to do
1: Yes. Since that was my bonus action, I will take a dash action and make a sprint for the eggs.
0: Okay. And because of your Zephyr Strike, you don't invoke any attacks from the Griffins and you manage to just scurry past them. Yes. Okay.
1: And then I, can I I just like hug the egg?
0: Yeah. And it is huge. It is like up to your waist. It is a large egg.
1: Oh man. Uh, Zen, is it possible for you to, like, beam us up, or is this, like, a, if we're in combat, you can't do it type of thing? Um, uh, l- let me check. You just hear, like, furious page flipping? Yeah, just
0: furious <laughs> page flipping. And then you both feel, like, that tightening around you, like the air is compressing, and everything sort of fades away. And you feel that same sort of pressure that you felt when you arrived here and in what could be a a second what could be a minute you're really not sure but when you become aware again you are standing back in the library between those two bookshelves real is just like hugging this giant egg and linda's there too we did it
1: Uh, are we alive or are we dead
0: you're both alive, your uh, weapons are gone, and you're back in your original library clothing.
1: Oh my god.
0: And you're covered in feathers.
1: Uh, oh my, jeez. I,
0: I hope those griffins are okay.
1: Uh, breakfast anyone?
0: So, a couple of librarians, you've seen them before, but you don't really know much about them, you haven't interacted with them much. These are like the research librarians, and they don't they don't go out on actual archivist missions. They just handle things at home. And they come and they collect the egg. They tell you, "Good work. We're gonna figure out what this is." Take a well-deserved break.
1: Is it gonna be like a cool space Griffin?
0: They don't know what it is. Okay. That's why they're uh, taking it away to
2: figure that out.
1: Maybe it's like one of those uh, thousand-year eggs. Those are those are pretty tasty. <laughs> Maybe I'm gonna eat it later. I'm fine with that.
2: <laughs> Linda is both like shaken by having to fight people and griffins and is also like elated that we did it and so she like very quietly says uh are there pancake restaurants in the library we should celebrate let's let's get pancakes
1: Ooh, i do like pancakes we didn't get any of the pancakes at the uh, seeking star so I, i would really like some pancakes
0: all right and Zen is up for pancakes she hops out of her giant chair and kind of wraps an arm around both of you Linda is uh, a normal height again so that is possible <laughs> Zen would never be able to put her arm around a halfling. it would be
2: comical and she's like yeah, I could eat So I guess they freeze frame arm in arm going to get pancakes and we get a we get a celebration montage.
1: Yes
0: yep they all jump up into the air and <laughs> to frame. a high five, <laughs> and no one has guilt at all. And the screen zooms out, and we get a slideshow of them eating pancakes and spraying whipped cream on each other, and oh my doing God. shenanigans.
1: It just real has a thousand yard stare <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> Just thinking about the lives they've taken.
0: <laughs> Real is having a moral crisis that we're not going to deal with in this episode. Woo! We did it! Yay! And so that concludes our Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition one-shot campaign. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about it. Let's unpack a little.
2: Yeah. So I am particularly fond of D and D. Obviously, as I talked about earlier. And uh, I think that this game showed a lot of reasons why, um, which is that there's lots of different ways to solve problems from the like, totally normal to the completely batshit. There are lots of ways to deal with uh, even relatively straightforward scenarios like combat and then there's a ton of different stuff you can do. So we did everything from talking to people to sneaking around to fighting to dealing with the environment and yeah I mean there's a lot of really good stuff about this and fifth edition is one of the more straightforward editions, which means that it's really easy to like just pick up and play once you get a character rolled. We didn't have to do a ton of rules looking up and a ton of little fiddly stuff. We definitely did some of it, but 5th edition is a straightforward game to play, and there's a ton you can do with it.
0: And I do just want to say as a note, like this is not scripted. Like As the DM, I did have a lot of like the descriptive stuff written out ahead of time, and like the ways that the enemies would attack and react, I had a lot of that written out. But uh, Ziva and Kite, they did not know what was coming, they did not know what to expect, and they definitely did things that I could not have predicted and was not prepared for. And honestly, that's kind of the fun of it as a DM, is you also have to react to what the players do. There's no foolproof way to set it so that they'll do exactly what you expect all the time.
1: Uh, I find it as my personal goal in life to throw my DM for a loop constantly. Um, (laughs) And I like to think I'm very good at it. so. So I guess like, how did you guys feel like, uh, Ziva, how did you feel playing like a bard since this was your first time playing a bard?
2: I thought it was interesting to play a bard. I probably could have done more with it, um, but I really like the balance between combat and, and fast combat and some spell work, but not all magic. It reminded me a little bit of a rogue just in terms of like the breadth of things that
0: you can do sort of a jack of all trades
2: yeah exactly and um it was fun i don't know i liked it it is one of the ability (laughs) names yeah it was fun i would love to um i'd love to play in this space a little bit more sometime
1: definitely like especially when you get more of your college I i actually don't know what college of lore like specifically gets. I know they get lots of expertise in things, or at least, or that might just be a general bard thing, but yeah. Expertise is neat, because it doubles your proficiency Yeah. in, you know, whatever skills you have, which is like, hey, I'm really good at the dulcimer, and I'm actually <laughs> fucking amazing, and I'm linda the bar the best dulcimer player in all of fae
2: yeah it's fun and i would love a chance um, at some point if we go back and do some revisiting to uh polish up some of these skills and dust off the old character sheet sometime
0: yeah maybe like pretty far down the road after we've done a lot of other stuff we'll need a dungeons and dragons refresher and we'll come back and i'll be like level eight or nine
1: and then we're gonna have to relearn all the things we forgot <laughs> We're gonna be like, hey, can range do non-lethal damage?
0: <laughs> well, I think we've all been playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons for a really long time and there's still stuff that we look up every single time. Like, Yeah. yeah I still honestly don't know how magical attacks
2: work.
1: Oh, really? <laughs> yes. For me, I think I know just because I play in a semi-regular game and I'm a, I'm a sorcerer. I actually did not think I would like- I usually tend to like martial kind of classes. But Sorcerer is actually, like, super fucking fun.
0: I don't usually play, like, pure casters. I usually play, um, like, Clerics and Paladins, which do have spells, but they're mostly about, like, buffing and healing.
1: Yeah, I mean, kind of like, I guess a quick explanation is just that some spells you roll a spell attack, and that's just, like, comparative to, like, using a weapon. Right. Versus other spells are, like, the enemy has to make a save.
0: Right. And I think we saw some of both of that in our play session today.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Like my, um, my hellish rebuke, they have to make a save. Whereas the firebolt that the tiefling woman who we actually never learned her name, my bad. She had one. You just never asked. <laughs> yeah, well, she was never very nice. So, you know, I'm <laughs> glad she's dead. Wow. Uh, but yeah, firebolt, classic cantrip there. Uh, yeah, that's a spell attack that does like 1d10 or whatever. Very nifty. Big fan of that. But yeah. Um I am actually like kind of interested to see how ranger is at higher levels cuz I know that ranger is seen as one of the weaker classes. So I'm curious to see how much I will hate it later on. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've heard uh, that
0: like 80 or 90% of players like never get above like level 10.
1: Oh really? <laughs>
0: yeah and I don't think I ever have.
1: In the sorcerer game that I was just mentioning, I think we are at level 10 or level 11, but that was meant to be more of a short form game that goes by very quickly. So after each session, like we start at level three, and then after each session, we've been gaining one level. Yeah, so it's like very quick paced. And it's it's cool just because like we get new stuff every time. So it's, it's really neat to kind of explore that. Um, I've also heard some people say that like like 13 to 14 is kind of like the sweet spot for D&D level wise just because it's like after that like players are so strong it can be kind of difficult to sort of balance fighting monsters with them because it's just like I mean in general it's hard to balance just because it's like there's so much RNG right like it's like you could either blow up my bad guys or not like like you didn't expect me to roll 3d8 plus 4 you know like (laughs) I didn't expect all of my NPCs to keep Missing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you can balance as well as you can, but you know, if the dice are either against you or with you, then that is a big, a big thing as well, which can be kind of annoying. I tend to roll like shit. I've noticed. Yeah, you didn't roll reset. any ones today. Uh, did I roll a one? I rolled one one. Oh, okay. Yeah, but yes, I rolled lots of twos. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I uh, I rolled lots of mediocres like sevens, which is just <laughs> enough to screw you.
0: I have <laughs> yeah. played games where I've gone entire sessions without rolling above a 10, oh, uh. and sometimes sometimes that can get very frustrating. Yeah, that can yeah. be super annoying. Yeah. But, you know, if your skills are high enough, then you can pass a lot of checks anyway. So Yeah. Yeah, so that's what we like about Dungeons & Dragons. Is there anything in particular that we don't really like about this system that we find to be a little awkward or uncomfortable?
2: The only thing I really don't like about the system, and this is a personal preference, is that a lot of the little rules you have to like go look up or have memorized, especially with, like I said, I use beyond. And so a lot of the stuff is in there. But then there's other stuff that it was like, how come like there isn't an easy way for me to know this rule? There's not like a little printable cheat sheet you can get with the main system. It's not in the main character sheets. It's just kind of stuff you have to know.
0: Like we had to look up a page number in a secondary book to find out whether or not drinking a potion was an action or not.
2: Yeah. And (laughs) so like, maybe it's hidden around here somewhere and this is user error. So, um, you know, don't at me. (laughs) But there's little stuff like that, that I feel like sometimes makes the game a little bit less playable. And in our case, you know, none of us are like, experts but we've all played D&D before and we've all played fifth edition before and so you know we had enough familiarity that it didn't bring our game to a halt it just took a little bit extra time but that's really my big beef with D&D is that sometimes you have to stop and look up those little fiddly rules that you don't know off the top of your head just that there's so much of it yeah there's just so much of it
0: yeah, and definitely like during that one fight, like I had written down in my notes like what spells all of these NPCs knew and what they would use and when. But I'd see these spells and be like, "Oh shit, I don't know off the top of my head. I don't remember off the top of my head what that spell does." So I was like looking up all these spells on the fly and that's it can drag things down a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's definitely like, I don't know, once you play a lot more D&D especially as like a regular game then you um it drags less just because it's like second nature but yeah if you play D&D like semi-infrequently it kind of sucks because it's like oh yeah how do I do that thing again what is the rule for this again and also it's a lot of like different groups will sometimes have like different rules for things so like for instance that potion rule i know some people will use it as like a bonus action instead of an action even though that's like a rule in the book just cuz like game flow wise they prefer it or like same with the the crit like we did roll one dice and then double it um i know some people are like roll two dice and then other people are even like roll two dice and also double your modifier so it's like it can also be kind of Hard to keep track of like rules, especially if you play with like a bunch of different people, because different groups might have different rules for things.
0: Well, I don't think that's a problem so much like with the system as yes, it is with true. like. There's just a lot of tweaking you can do with it, and I guess that can be both a strength and a weakness. Yeah,
2: yeah. The other thing about D and D that I feel like is really important to talk about is both. So two things. And these are downsides more to the role-playing ecosystem than they are with D&D like as a system, which is both that Wizards of the Coast and D&D are like immensely pervasive to the point where some people don't know that there's tabletop games beyond D&D. And that, you know, there's both strengths to that because there's so much DD content and there's so much DD community. Um, but it's also a downside to the fact that they tend to sometimes eat up indies in terms of people's like knowledge, not in terms of something predatory that Wizards does, but just in terms of the general public understanding of tabletop. Even people who love tabletop gaming don't necessarily know like how much indie content there is out there that's outside of this main system. And of course, something that you hear um, frequently, especially about early DD, though even a little bit today is that some of the language around some of the non-human races um, is a bit, for lack of a better word, problematic. And there's definitely people in the community who are working to make D&D you know more friendly towards people of color and more friendly towards ethnic minorities and more friendly towards different cultures but um, if you're someone who's interested in D&D but that sort of thing is not what you're looking for um, that can definitely be a downside Um, and again that's not how D&D plays that has more to do with like the lore and the origins of tabletop but it's worth mentioning Um, it's hard to have a discussion about DD without mentioning that there are some downsides to its pervasiveness and to its early cultural origins and just the fact
0: that like a lot of newcomers only know about dungeons and dragons if they come into this and see like all of the rules and all of the history and all of that then it might turn them off of gaming even though there are a lot of other systems out there that are a lot, I guess, easier on the rules.
1: Yeah, like a different play style.
0: Right, and I guess that's uh, part of what this podcast is gonna be—like exploring those other systems.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, I think for me, this is a plus and a negative. It's kind of like the whole managing, like your action economy. Like it can be very fun to be like, okay, did I do? Did I use my bonus action and my action and my movement and my free action? And I also have a reaction, but it can also be, like, kind of intimidating. But, I mean, that's part of, like, how there is a lot of nuance and stuff to D&D. Yeah. But also, like, once you get into the rhythm of it, it can be, like, very fun to be like, yes, these are all the things I can do on my turn.
0: Yeah, like, when you had that turn where you rolled three, where you ended up rolling three D8s, like, that was a very cool turn.
1: (laughs) Real is cool sometimes, maybe. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and especially once you get into higher levels and you have a lot of options, and if you have, like, a, frankly, a, a cool fight, then there are just going to be a lot of different fun things that you can do. Yeah. And it can get really interesting. I think that actually brings me to one of the things I like less about Dungeons and Dragons, and it's actually the set turn order. Oh, okay. Yeah, so today we only had two players, but I've played in games where you have six players. And when you get in a big fight where you have six players and six enemies, one round takes a long time.
1: Yeah, especially if people haven't figured out what they want to do on their turn yet.
0: And it seems like a lot of times people are just waiting around for their next turn. And I've played other systems where it's a little more fun fluid in turn order in that like it gets switched around every so often or, you, or every turn you can decide what order people are going to play in. And I think that can be a little more fluid because sometimes it makes sense that way because technically you're supposed to think of it like everything in this turn is happening in the same six second period mm-hmm. instead of... One person going at a time, but the way the set turn order works is that sometimes like you don't really have anything that you can do on your turn because you have to wait for something else to happen first, or someone else is in your way and they have to move first. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the things I like less about Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. I mean,
1: that's like the thing is about Dungeons and Dragons is it's very gamey, like video gamey, because it is like a lot of numbers and movement and position and stuff like that. um, Whereas like for instance Monster of the Week, which I think I'll probably be GMing and I I think it's my turn next, right, to do a one shot. Yeah. Yeah. So uh Monster of the Week, look forward to that. But like in that there isn't like a turn order or anything like that. It's much less video gamey. Like the dice are meant to like dictate where the story goes versus like this is how much damage you do. Like when you do an attack, you roll to see if you hit, but you don't roll to see how much damage. Like your your weapon just does a flat amount of damage because in that game each weapon has like its own lethality. You know, it's like it's like if you have a shovel and a shotgun, like a shovel is going to do less damage than a shotgun because like you know naturally one one is a a gun. <laughs> so for that, it's like less. How can I min max my damage and more like What would my character do in this situation to, like, get out of this fight or whatever? There is no turn order. You kind of just go in whatever order makes the most sense.
2: I'm really excited to do Monster of the Week next because I feel like it's a really good contrast to D&D and it's also a relatively popular one. And so I feel like it'll be a really good showcase for what the differences are. Even just like right out the gate, like one and two, we're already <laughs> looking at like sort of the breadth of what's out there in tabletop role playing right now. And they could not be more different. No, no, they're super different.
0: I think that's why it's great that we started with 5th edition, because it is so popular and all-encompassing, and now that everyone has heard this game, like this is, this is our control group. Everything else can be compared and contrasted to this.
1: Yeah, that, like you guys have said, it's kind of like how D&D is very pervasive. It is the control tabletop game, I guess, that kind of everyone does build their understanding off of. What else is there we should touch on?
2: I think that about covers it. Yeah, honestly, I I had a lot of fun. I feel like this was like really fun to play and it went really well. And uh, thank you for GMing. Yeah, I think this was
0: a good good first arc for us. A good introduction to sort of what we're going to be about. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Murder. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Kite, do you want to give us just like a
1: short teaser on what we can expect next time? For Monster of the Week, uh, yeah, totally. It is going to be kind of a modern Earth setting um, just because it is based off of, you know, Monster of the Week type shows like Buffy the Vampire or Supernatural with like kind of paranormal uh, stuff going on. I don't know if it'll be the same Earth as Linda's or if it would be like an alternate Earth. But yeah, it'll be probably like a small time mystery. And what I like about Monster of the Week and by extension, the Powered by the Apocalypse system, is that unlike D&D, which uh, uses pretty much all the dice, the Powered by the Apocalypse system uses the 2D6 system, So that's pretty much all you have to keep track of and also each character instead of classes you have archetypes like the chosen one, the initiate, so you all guys are all playing like different roles on like an X-Files type tv show as you guys solve a mystery and of course it'll be related to the library and the archivists and kind of fit into our higher level lore. That'll be cool, definitely looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, great! I am definitely looking forward to playing that. Yeah, I'm really excited, and I hope everyone listening is also excited. We're excited to be here and excited to be doing this, and uh, I can't wait to do more. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Yep, thank you, thank you, and have a time. I don't know how. To play. <laughs> 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 All right, this has been the Eternity Archives. And we'll see you next time.
2: The remnants of the fear and rage of the last war still stalk the world, waiting to tear humanity to shreds. Noble demons lurk at the world's margins, sure of their power and heedless of the lives they crush. Enormous automatic siege weapons lie sleeping under the placid fields of a melted world, ready to spring to life and programmed to kill. Don't worry, we're here with you. Welcome to Sword of Symphonies. Join Cobb, Tissa, and Penelope as they navigate the dangerous world of Imelta, discover the secrets of its past, and most importantly, look out for each other.
0: I'm Kat, your host, your king, and the game designer behind
2: this actual playtest campaign. And I'm thrilled to meet you. I'm Kathleen, producer, composer, and the one who puts the show together. Join us every week at peachgardengames.com to hear the fruits of my game design and my sound design. Sort of symphonies. Together, we can survive.
0: The Eternity Archives is hosted, produced, and edited by Dorka, Kite, and Ziva. Find us on Twitter at The Archives Pod or online at TheEternityArchives.com. Our intro music is Paint the Sky by Hans Adam and sound effects are obtained from zapsplat.com. Check out our show notes for more info and some helpful Dungeons & Dragons resources. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and subscribe to The Eternity Archives on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. Consider supporting us by telling your friends about us, or leave us a tip at our Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash The Eternity Archives. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.